trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight do not be wise in your own eyes fear the Lord and shun evil this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones And I pray, Father, that all of us as God's people will today trust in you with all of our hearts, that we'll not lean on our own understanding, but we'll trust in you and submit to you, knowing that your promise is that you will make our paths straight. And I pray that we will not be wise in our own eyes, but that we will fear you, that we will respect you, that we will honor you, that we will shun evil. And we trust you completely to keep every promise that you have made in your precious word to us who love you, worship you, and adore you. In the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord, I pray. Amen. Please open your Bibles to James, the first chapter. The epistle of James, the first chapter. We'll read two verses in a moment, verses 26 and 27. And when the time comes, I'll ask you to stand, but that'll be in just a moment. The series that we continue is a faith that works as we journey through the epistle of James. So far in the first chapter, we've observed joy when it's tough, wisdom, what we desperately need, the uplifting paradox of possessions, the truth about temptation, our God is good, and you should follow up with... Thank you. I thought for a second there I'd lost you. Let's say it again. Our God is good. Yeah, very good. And then last time, two weeks ago today, the primacy, the primacy of obedience. Today, the person with the faith that is real. You know, I'm going through, it's just like every week is the same thing as I go through James. It's like, why, oh Lord, did I pick this epistle? Why did you lead me to pick this epistle? Because James has a way of being so blunt and so direct and my toes are pulverized. And so I get to bring all that to you on Sunday. James is direct, isn't he? But we need it. And today's two verses are two of the better known in the epistle. So let's read them as we stand together and honor the reading of God's word. Just two verses. And here's what James writes. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You may be seated. Now there are three things there, and almost anybody, any, almost any believer in this room could preach this sermon, but I'll do it since you've asked me to. But it's obvious that just leaps out at you that there are three things that we need to remember about the person with a faith that is that is real. Remember that James is written to Christians. It is written particularly to Jewish Christians, Jewish believers who have been scattered all over the Roman Empire by persecution. 
written by James, the epistle bears his name, written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. And when he saw his resurrected half-brother, his entire life was changed and transformed, just as your life has been transformed by the risen Jesus Christ. And so now, writing as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, James has these powerful words of direction, conviction, and encouragement for those first century believers and for us. Now, in the text, he uses the word religious or religion two times. And so remember that a definition of that for the book of James is outward worship. Outward worship. So here's the question of the morning. Is it real or is it not? Now, its reality is not measured by how loudly you sing or by how many notes you take of the sermon or how broadly you smile when encountering your friends on Sunday morning. Though all three of those things are good, we should sing loudly. Did anybody, was anybody at the sporting event that I attended yesterday? Good. I just wanted to be sure. I've never figured out how on Saturday we can scream to the top of our lungs and on Sunday just stand there. I hadn't figured that one out yet. Now, taking notes is a good thing too. I take notes when somebody else preaches because I've got something I want to learn and I won't learn it if I don't write it down. That's just, I've got to write it down. And it's good to smile. But but understand, be, James wants us to be careful here. Do not be deceived. None of these things guarantee your being right with God. So, the person with a faith that is real, three things, and the first is this, the person whose faith is real controls his tongue. <clears throat> How are you feeling at this point? It's kind of like a hot knife going through butter or a punch to the stomach. Right now, some of you are saying, hey, I'm okay. Others of you are wondering how quickly you could duck out the back door. Because James here speaks of our tongue, and he's not done yet. We've got to endure more of this as we go through the epistle. Now, James, understand, is not addressing the occasional bleep. You know what they do on TV when somebody says something they're not supposed to say. Bleep, bleep, beep, whatever it is. It catches our attention. We're, we're aware of it. He's not addressing the occasional bleep. He's not addressing the occasional thoughtless comment or the occasional lapse of reason when we participate in gossip. He is addressing the one whose tongue, speech, mouth is a perpetual problem. So now some of you are beginning to feel a little better, and some of you are beginning to feel a little worse. 
the one who casts doubt on another person's character or integrity, the frequent gossip, the sarcastic one who constantly puts down other people, the one who is a constant critic, the one who passes gossip, the one who curses more than the occasional bleep, the one who passes the off-color joke, the one who comments on the looks of another in a derogatory or a salacious manner, the one who lies often, the one who does not glorify God with his or her lips, the one who fancies himself or herself to be wise or spiritually mature and disdains those that he or she considers beneath himself or herself or the one who disdains, the one who simply disagrees with them, those who cast racial slurs and in today's climate, the political discourse of the day that we see on a daily basis. I could go on forever, but you've got the picture. There's no need for me to do that. James is going to address this more before we're done. But here he addresses it very, very directly. And it led me to what Jesus had to say. So I, I want you to listen as I read from Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 and 34. Here's what Jesus said. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. Got it. Then Jesus says to the religious leaders, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So Jesus himself tells us the mouth reveals the heart. Now I'm, I'm really paying attention at this point. Here is the bottom line. The problem is not the occasional slip up with the tongue. When that happens, we confess and repent and we ask for forgiveness of God and forgiveness of the people that we may have offended in the process. The issue rather is a lifestyle And that is all too real in the life of the church. The reason, now I want you to hone in on this because this is really, really important. The reason, where is the Holy Spirit? Where is the Holy Spirit? We know that when we become Christ followers, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And He comforts us, He guides us, He encourages us, and He convicts us. So where is the Holy Spirit in the life of one who is a chronic offender with His mouth? Where is He? The Holy Spirit does not convict because He isn't present in the heart of the chronic offender. Now, if that makes you gasp momentarily, I want you to go back to the text and understand 
what James is saying. He says, the person's religion or outward worship who cannot control his mouth is not real. It is fake. It is phony. It is not the real thing. He or she does not know Jesus. Whoa. So the Holy Spirit isn't there to convict. Now that should frighten the one here today who is in that category. So I want you to look back one more time at verse 26. We've got to get our arms around what James is saying. He's writing to believers or those who believe they're believers. And here again he says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves into believing something that isn't true. That's deception. And he says their religion is worthless or not real. The person does not know Jesus. That is shocking. And yet it is exactly what James is saying to us. So take care to listen very carefully to what James is saying because there may be a time for many to give self-examination and ask the Holy Spirit, speak to me, do I really know you? And if you do, you will know it. He will tell you. And then if there are areas of the tongue that need to be taken care of, He will help you. That's why He, part of why He dwells in you is to help you in your witness. Then James is not finished. The person with a faith that is real, secondly, blesses those in need. The person whose faith is real blesses those in need. James gets really specific by singling out orphans and widows, the most helpless groups of people in the Jewish society of the first century. And so for us, we understand that he is addressing widows and orphans, but all of those around us in need. Now, he uses the word, if you'll notice in verse 27, the word distress. That word can be translated pressure. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, are you okay? You don't look like you feel good or you look like you're preoccupied or... And your response was, I'm under a lot of pressure right now. That's, you, you can identify with that. You understand the meaning of that word. And so in the first century for the widows and orphans, there is a desperate need for the necessities of life, for food and for clothing. And James addresses it to the church. Now remember, There weren't any churches like this. None. 
then none. The churches were consisted primarily of people who were poor, a few with means, mostly poor, meeting mostly in homes or in some public place. But the idea of the church having the wealth that we have in this room was not, it was unthinkable at that point. Remember, James is the first New Testament book to be written or the second. The, the first could have been Galatians, could have been James. We don't know for sure, but it's first or second to be written. So the church, it's 40, late 40s, 50 AD. The church is really just beginning to grow and flourish under persecution. There's no social welfare system, no governmental welfare system. Christianity itself is in its infancy. And so most families were barely able to take care of themselves, much less others. Yet James says, we must address the needs of those around us, including especially orphans and widows. Now, God has always taken this seriously. And unless for any reason you have doubt about that, let me let me take you to Isaiah, the first chapter, when the prophet addresses the people who are showing up for worship and they're bringing um, sacrifices and they're acting Religious, but here's what God says who, who sees the heart. God says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, your new moon feast and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me, I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening, your hands are full of blood. Then he says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Now, what about the New Testament? Does the New Testament say anything differently? Well, what about 1 John chapter 3, verse 17? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So now let's bring this home to the 21st century and us. James is calling for a personal involvement on the part of those who believe their faith in Jesus is real. A personal involvement. Now... Let's think for a moment about the body of Christ called First Baptist Belton. We are enormously involved in the community, enormously involved through our benevolence ministry, uh, helping hands, food pantry, the body of Christ community clinic of the medical clinic, medical and dental clinic, family promise in, in housing the homeless and helping them to find jobs and housing them here in our own facilities. And we join together with other brothers and sisters in Christ across the, the area to reach out and minister to the needs 
of those in our community. So as a whole, God is looking and He sees what we do, but the, but the text is drilling down beneath the whole and looking at the individual, and that is looking at us. So what part do I play? What part do you play? Times have changed from the first century. The orphans were everywhere, and they still are outside our American context. And we minister to orphans, I think, Larry, of Haiti and, and other countries where we're, we're ministering to, 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 uh, to, to orphans. Here in our own country, we might think more of adoption and foster care. And then widows, God bless you deacons for, for seeing after the widows in our church. It's your most important vital ministry. God bless you for taking it seriously. The needs are still very real. So we ask ourselves, what can you and I do? Now, the liberal says, raise taxes and throw money at them with your tax money. It's not what I say. The hypocrite says, take an offering and throw money at it. But the real Christian says, yes, I will contribute monetarily, but what can I do personally to be involved with a neighbor, a friend, a church member, someone who is in need? And James indicts and convicts those who do not care. In fact, the implications there, again, just like it was with the tongue, the implication is if you don't care, then maybe you don't even have the Holy Spirit in you. A religion that is real, an outward worship that is real, a faith that, that, that is real, will seek to meet the needs of those around us who are in genuine need. Now... I love this community and I love the way this, the churches of this community work together and, and I love the way that the conservative churches of our community work together. There's this illogical notion that says liberals do more than conservatives in meeting social needs. Balderdash. Absolutely not true. Now, liberals are very glad to take your tax money and to hire somebody to try to solve issues. But it is the conservatives that get involved hands-on. And I'll tell you how I know that. It's because that's who's involved here. Helping Hands Food Pantry, Body of Christ Community Clinic, Family Promise. I love our brothers and sisters in Christ who love the Bible, join together, take this seriously, and try to meet the needs of people in our community. It's what we're supposed to do. And James says, if you don't do it, if you don't care, he brings into question our very foundational faith. Okay, so James, thank you for making my morning. As we think about the tongue, as we think about meeting the needs of those around us, one more, he's not quite finished yet. The person with a faith that is real, lives a life of purity. Lives a life of purity. Now, let's look back at verse 26 so you can see how he says it. Or 27. Keep yourself from being polluted 
by the world. Now, the world is polluted, uh, and I'm not talking about the air we breathe. I'm talking about the murder of the unborn. I'm talking about sexual perversion and slavery, terrorism and violence, particularly in our our major cities, but it doesn't escape us totally either. The murder of Christians around the world. Uh, how many of you can say I heard this on the major network? Since January, 6,000 plus Christians have been slaughtered in Nigeria alone, including over 300 last week. You see it on the news? Of course not. It's not considered important to the mainline media. But our brothers and sisters in Christ are literally being slaughtered in central Nigeria by fanatical Fulani Muslims. Our world is polluted. Television is no longer Little House on the Prairie. So what do we do? Stick our head in the sand? Oh no. What we do is we guard our eyes, we guard our ears, we guard our mind. We are careful what we read and what we look at and what we listen to. Trash in, trash out, wholesome in, wholesome out. So as God's people, remember, we are called to be distinctive. We are called to be distinctive as the vital part of our witness in our community. So we become students of the Word. We worship here and by ourselves with God-honoring Christ-exalting music. We are careful with our closest friendships and we are making every effort to be distinctive to those that we know do not know the Lord that they might see Christ in us. James says your words are important, your hands are important, your hearts are important. And so, as James says, We ask the Holy Spirit, help us with our words, empower us with our hands, and continue to transform our hearts from the inside out. And He will do it. Is that enough for today? It is for me. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, you speak to us from your word through the spirit and we hear and we heed those words. We ask that you help us to be the men and women that you want us to be. Father, there may be one, two, three, four, a dozen or more in this room who do not yet know Jesus. Maybe even some who thought they knew Jesus, but realize I don't really know him. 
I pray that you would woo and draw someone to yourself today. That they might come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And Father, I pray that those of us who who know you and love you will heed these words that this week we might be distinctive with our mouths, distinctive with our hands, distinctive with our hearts, that the world may see Jesus in us. In the Savior's name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart to give your life to Jesus. Come and place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. A member of our staff will be here to pray with you. Everyone else in the room, as we sing, we're praying and asking God to continue to work in our hearts and in our lives. And let's do that now as we stand and sing together.